I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Dream Job Ready. My name is Dane Sharp, I'm your host, and my guest for this episode is Angela Sun, Los Angeles news anchor, sportscaster, journalist, and documentary filmmaker. Angela's resume of dream jobs is long and diverse, and it was a pleasure to chat with her about what she thinks has made her successful and helped her build out a super broad portfolio of work over the last 15 years. Ange was the first Asian American female sportscaster to appear on ESPN, Yahoo Sports, Tennis Channel and Fox Sports. Throughout the interview, she talks about the necessity of breaking down barriers, overcoming obstacles and changing the game to be successful. She was also the host of the Webby award-winning Yahoo Sports Minute, which was, at the time, the world's longest-running and number one rated online daily sports show. Angela shares her opinions and some awesome advice about creating content for all types of media in this interview. If you have a passion for storytelling, you're going to get a lot of value from the tips and techniques Angela talks to throughout this chat. It was Angela's passion for storytelling, along with her love of our oceans, that led to the creation of her first feature documentary, Plastic Paradise, The Great Pacific Garbage Patch. She directed and executive produced the film, which went on to receive critical praise, win 11 different international film awards, and earn support from high profiles such as former USA Vice President Al Gore and actors Bette Midler and Forrest Whitaker. What else can I tell you about Angela before I hit play on this interview? She speaks five languages. She's studied university in three different countries. She's now traveled to over 60 countries for both work and pleasure. She scuba dives, surfs, and is a citizen marine biologist for ReefCheck. She was also a season four host of American Ninja Warrior. I told you her resume was diverse. This is Dream Job Ready with Angela Sun. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. Well, that was quite the intro, first off. If I could talk about what it's like being in Los Angeles as a news anchor, I would have to say it's wearing a lot of different hats. You're constantly on the move. There's always a different breaking story. There's so many topical news of the days. You have to be very nimble and you have to be well-read and you ha- you just have to really be on top of it, uh, whether it's from social media perspective or just a reading perspective of what's going on with current events in the world to um, engaging with other people and interactions in the newsroom and beyond, especially with setting up stories. I shoot, write, produce, edit, and then present as well. So 
whether it's in the studio or out in the field, you're, I'm constantly thinking. So it's not a job that you just clock in and clock out. Cause even being here in Australia, like I have story ideas rolling through my head all the time. And I remember doing stories here in Australia at different times and points in my life. And, you know, everywhere you go in the world, it's kind of like a great canvas for storytelling. And there's so many nooks and crannies and there's so many different stories and subjects and people that are so interesting. And I think it takes that as a journalist and especially doing investigative work too, to have that sort of perspective or have different perspectives and different eyes to look for those, right? One of the fascinating things about your career so far is you haven't been stuck in the one seat or behind the one camera for this whole time. You know, you've, you've done a little bit of everything. Um, and I think we'll, we won't be able to cover every single topic, every single opportunity you've had, but I really want to dive into the jobs and the work that you've done that's, that's meant the most to you. Um, because really that's what a dream job is all about. So typically I've been asking in, in episodes for the guests to kind of throw me back to their junior days or when they were in school and what did you want to do when you grew up kind of stuff. But I'd like to try a slightly different tact with you. And if I could ask you to pinpoint that one, two, maximum three jobs and roles that you've had that you really think at the time and even now were dream jobs. Well, first off, it's a uh, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> it's always been uh, me, uh, I feel like, but I do feel like growing into my versatility and having been able to play in a lot of different roles has allowed me to have the breadth and depth of a career, which is very um, flattering, by the way, for thank you for having me because I, I always feel like I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And for people to think that that's their dream job or that the jobs that I've had are dream jobs is pretty amazing. And I do have to pinch myself so many times when I'm in these situations, like what? I'm at the French Open right now. I'm talking to one of the Williams sisters. What? So I know that sport's always been a passion of yours. Um, There must be one of your roles that you've had, dream jobs that's been in sport. Yep. So one of... My most memorable moments in my career was working the Vancouver Olympics for Yahoo Sports. And that was such a treat. And just to be around so many world-class athletes in such a stage, a world stage of sport, and to be ingrained into the coverage of it was just really just such a learning experience and fascinating to be a part of that live sport coverage too. And now like after that, I've done a lot of live coverage in sport, but that was one of my first forays into it. And and define your role that you had there. So I was one of the hosts or sports hosts, TV presenters for the Yahoo Sports. We had a whole Yahoo zone in, we had a Vancouver zone. So we would have a lot of the athletes come and that was our setup studio yep. that we had in Yale Town. And then I would also go out in the field and talk to the analysts and interview the athletes and then do packages and pieces that would air at, or go online as well. And it was really, I felt like we were ahead of the time because in 2010, people were 
still kind of poo-pooing digital or, oh, digital <laughs> short-form content is a new thing. It's not linear. It's not television. Um, we were kind of like the, you know, the redheaded stepchild or whatnot, right. of, okay. you know, of, of uh, media at yeah. that time. And now short-form content is rules, right? Yeah. Everything is on demand and bite size and especially with news and sports. Pumped and out so, quickly and ready and yeah, we had, straight away. It, for the time that I was at Yahoo Sports, we had 600 million streams, which is still pretty wow. impressive now um, to look back at that run. And so the Olympics was something that I've always wanted to, to cover. It was one of my work bucket list things that I wanted to do. Uh, I, I always made lists. So... Yeah. From a young, yeah, when I was really young, I always set goals lists for every quarter. We were on the quarter system at uni, and so right. um, instead of semester, so I'd have, you know, four different lists for every spring, fall, winter, um, summer. Except I'm saying that all out of order, but um, and I'd check them off, and it'd be something like you know, run a 5K or <laughs> anything, um, eat better, um, work out more, whatever. Um, but there would be certain things that I just threw out there, and I I also do vision boarding a lot too, because right. I feel like just putting out onto paper or writing it down just helps you, you know, solidify your goals. I didn't call them dreams. It wasn't like a dream list or it was a goals list Sure. because I feel like if you write it down, it can be attainable. And so I wrote down that I wanted to work on Olympics. I wanted to host my own travel show. I wanted to be a, you know, a journalist. I wanted to do a documentary. I think I've actually done everything from my, I still kept it too. I have wow. this book from when I was 16 go to Australia, study abroad, go scuba diving. Um, I did all of that. I did all of them except for, I think, climb El Capitan okay. <laughs> was one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't about to free solo that one. Um, but that was on the bucket list when I was 16. And then there was another one about like putting out a CD, which now are obsolete anyways. As in like a musician? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that was something as well. But it is very interesting to keep those. So I would suggest, you know, for anyone trying to figure out what they want to do, just start putting it on pen to paper and just writing it down. There's something in the art of actually physically doing that or physically vision boarding. It was funny because I just vision boarded um, maybe a year or two ago and a lot of that stuff came true as well. It was like random, like, oh, a picture of the Northern Lights. And then I ended up going to see the Northern Lights, you know, in Iceland. Let, let's be real. You, you put it on a piece of paper. It's a goal. Mm. It's an objective. It's a dream. Whatever you want to call it. How do you how do you achieve it? How did you get to work at the Olympics? Because that's the key thing for me, and this the reason I want to do this podcast is to kind of unlock those truths, myths, secrets. Um, you know, everyday uh, items that come up that is going to help someone that's sitting there that would love to work at the Tokyo Olympics this year or work at the next Olympics in four years' time. How did you get that role, and what advice could you take out of that that, that could be passed on? So I think writing down lists are great, but I think you've got to be realistic and work really hard and have a thick skin and put in the work. You know, um, Kobe Bryant, who recently passed away um, unexpectedly, had that mamba mentality. He was the first one in the gym. He was the last one out of the gym. And you can do so with 
your dream job as well. You know, I put that on paper. It didn't come to light or it didn't actually become realized till 10 years later. And I actually put on there that I wanted to work for the 2008 Beijing Olympics because I spoke Chinese. I'm Chinese. I want to do sport. And it was just perfect. And this is what I need to do working backwards. So I need to get in touch with these people who are the uh, coverage holders for the U.S. to reach out and, you know, start connections there. And then I got to like ramp up my live coverage and how can I build up my on-camera presence and how do I build up my writing skills and how do I build up my um, producing skills and finding these stories. So th- working backwards, like putting the goal out there, but then w- working backwards to reach that and having the patience that it might not come in your time. Yeah. And it actually has never come in my time. All the things that I wanted to do have never come in my time. Even when I was chasing up trying to do a TED talk and I really wanted to speak and I, you know, emailed all these people and even just local ones, the TEDx talks and stuff. And then maybe a year or two later, some, somebody from Italy, from Lecce, Italy called me up and said, would you like to come and do a TED talk and, or a TEDx talk? And lo and behold, I was standing in front of uh, 1,500 Italians in some amphitheater stadium thing and freaking out just about to talk, you know, to, to these people about passionate curiosity and what that means to me. So that all happened because I did the work, but it also, you know, I know it sounds cheesy or might sound cheesy that people say luck is, you know, preparation meets opportunity. Um, it's, it's timing, it's being the right place, right time, but it's also, it's hustling, but it's also being patient. I think be patient yep. with yourself. Don't try to jump the gun. There's so many times where um, when I'm talking to younger people or people are like, oh, I really would love to do what you're doing. And I'm like, give yourself that grace to grow. Yeah. You're not going to be great. Just keep at it. You know, I, back in the day when I was just starting out, I had no reel. How do you get a reel? How do you put something like that together and on camera to show an agent or a manager or even a casting person, right? And I would literally watch TV and I would write down because um, I didn't have the script, right? Yeah. Write down what they said or come up with a script. And then uh, we didn't have phones with cameras on them. <laughs> so yeah. we had video cameras, which put you put little tapes in the video camera. And so I'd tape myself and watch it back, critique myself. And, oh, my voice is too high. Oh, I'm looking funny or I should stand this way or whatnot. So I was constantly wanting to learn and wanting to grow. And I think just having that is a start Yeah. and not being hindered by that. Like, Oh, well I don't have this and I don't have that. And I don't have that background or, um, one of the things I hate or that I like to dispel when people are like, Oh, it must be nice to be you. It must be nice to travel or it must be nice to do this. And I'm like, what do you mean it must be nice? I worked really, really hard to get at that spot. And I worked every single job at entertainment. I was running the coffee for the talent. I was picking up the dry cleaning. And when I was doing that, when I first started, I just kept thinking to myself, you know what? One day, this is going to make a great story. But right now, I just got to keep my head down and do the work. And you know, I wasn't on air at that time. I had just graduated uni. Like I didn't know, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do from a young age, but I knew to get there, I had to do the work. And how did you, um, how did you know, 
how to do or why did you start doing some of those tidbits outside of, I guess, the job description? Because, you know, when you're in a role, there's, there's a job description and there's an onboarding process. I'd imagine, you know, even when you're an anchor on a news network, there's certain ways to do things. You obviously bring your personal touch to it, but there's a formula that makes that successful and makes anyone in that role that can do it successful in it. The bits you were just talking about there around, you know, watching other people, writing down their words or on your own script, doing your own recording, even if it was before smartphones, etc. <laughs> did someone suggest doing that? Did, did Is that something you saw someone else doing? What, what Like, why did you do that stuff? How, how does someone have the idea to, to come up with a concept like that and go after it? I think in the beginning, I did start taking some hosting and presenting classes. I also took vocal classes as well on how to train your voice. Um, I reached out to mentors. I reached out. One of my first mentors that I had was uh, a man who created Sports Center. And he always right. said, ask for feedback um, from a certain small group of people that you trust, but always constantly come and ask for feedback. And um, it's important to have a mentor, I think. And I feel like they were very helpful to me. I got involved in the Asian American Journalists Association. So that was something that led me to different job fairs and introduced me to different people who, you know, were hiring managers and stuff. So getting that critique or feedback from people, but also you got to create your own content. This is before content creators was a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, create your own content. And now it's like everyone who has a cell phone can create content. I mean, I create content on my cell phone. And so um, the now technology is at our fingertips that we can do this, right? So it's almost like the market's a bit saturated. So yep. how do you stand out above the fray? And I think that in, is in the storytelling and that is in the producing and that is your perspective. So having an opinion or, you know, from a journalist standpoint, you don't have an opinion, but having your facts straight and fact-checked and making sure that you're counter-programming to what all the other noise is out there. Like, tell us something new or add on to the story. Don't tell me something that somebody else said that you're regurgitating, you know? Um, I know I did that when I was practicing, you know, I just wrote down what people were saying, mm. but I would never do that. Um, that was just for it to help me to learn. And I would study people that I thought were successful and how did they get there and what did they do? And the formula for becoming a news anchor or a journalist on on news networks and sports is usually, oh, you move to a small market in the middle of nowhere and you start small and then you do everything and then you move markets and you keep trying to jump different markets until you reach number one, which is New York or number two, which is LA. And then you've quote unquote made it. Hmm. Right. And so I've been fortunate to have opportunities where I, I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't want to leave California and I didn't, but it wasn't that it was, easier. It was hard. And in some respects, harder, I feel like, because I went in for a lot of auditions and casting calls and my big break, uh, which was a Fox sports show an action sports show came because I drove around my headshots and to each casting director's office. And I would get the breakdowns this is again before there was like uh, digital headshots or email or LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, no LinkedIn. Uh, it was literally drop off your CV, 
you know, printed out with your photo, which is black and white. Um, I'm totally dating myself in this podcast yeah. full on. <laughs> I swear. Um, I'm not that old, but I do feel like driving that around. I got so I got lost in LA so many times. I had a Thomas guide, an actual printed map that I used uh, to drive these you know, CVs around and drop them off. Uh, funny enough, when I was studying abroad here at, at UNSW, I was so hell bent on trying to be a presenter. No presenting experience, by the way. Yeah. And I brought my CV in to Channel V. I was like, is there anyone I can drop this off to? By the way, you can't research who's like hiring because there was no, again, no LinkedIn, no real internet access. I mean, there was internet and stuff, but you go to the internet cafe to do that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, yeah. Not everybody on your company was listed on, on, on that website. No. Yeah. So you kind of just had to like Jimmy rig it and <laughs> figure it out yourself. The key to this is t tenacity or, um, you know, being audacious or enthusiastic or eager or keen. Is it, there's a billion different words we could use for it, but you know, apart from the practicality of getting those headshots to someone that matters, like just having the actual guts and, um, you know, enthusiasm to, to do that in the first place is, is, I think, the most critical part of this. Because if, if you don't show that enthusiasm or eagerness to kind of put yourself out there, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, it's so much more easier in some respects now to do it because everyone's got a video camera producer, editor in the in the palm of their hands. Um, there's a million different apps that can kind of help you execute it, but you still need to turn them on. You still need to download the apps in this to, you know, in this day and age. Um, you still need to drive around towns, visit those networks, get your name out there. Did that come naturally to you? Did that hunt to make it, hunt to get a job, hunt to kind of reach your goal come naturally? You know what's funny? Yes, it has always been very natural for me. I've always had side hustles. Even when I was like nine or 10, I started my own like necklace making, you know, venture and coming home from school, I would try to like sell it and make these beaded necklaces and, and, and uh, bracelets and try to sell it around like the neighborhood or a dog sitting service or a pet sitting service. And I make flyers. I was really good at marketing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was back in the day. And I think it's almost something that was innate in me. Um, I was, I was a bit cavalier at times too, I feel like. And I think it takes a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, to, I was going to ask you, you. Do, pe do people make it in TV in front of the camera if they don't have that rigor in them? I I don't think so. I mean, some people do maybe if they're like exquisitely beautiful and they just want, you know, just the camera loves them and everything. But if you have no personality, you could be the most beautiful person in the world and fall flat if you have no, you know, character or personality or glint in your eye. And I think what I feel like people really crave these days is relatability and authenticity. I know we throw that word around a lot these days, but I think that's something that's lost, especially in this Instagrammable, Instagrammable world of buying followers and growing numbers and how likes, you know, our social statuses. You spent um, over five years working for Yahoo um, and certainly at that time was such a um, you know, giant in the media industry. What advice can you pass on to someone that's early in their career in television, uh, behind or in front of the camera, that you know, aspires to go and work for one of the biggest networks or one of the big, um, you know, major media 
companies around the world. Well, I think what's interesting about what you just said there is that you said television, but then you said Yahoo. And at the time that I was at True. Yahoo, it was it's it is still a digital medium. Digital media was considered something that was a little bit like not on par with linear television as like the creme de la creme goal, right? But now I feel like the playing field has become level in terms of content is content and whatever network it's going to be on and whatever distribution platform it's going to be on, it's about how do you serve the audience, right? And how do you relate and how do you relate in an authentic way to that audience? And I think for someone who's trying to look into getting into whatever it is, I think I go back to the pen and the paper and writing it down. First, just put pen and paper down, writing down what your passions are and uh, what gets you going, right? You know, I love looking at funny fish in the ocean. That's my thing. That's my jam. I love salt water. I could surf, you know, if I'm surfing, if I'm in the water swimming, if I was, you know, diving, whatever, I'm, I'm happy as a clam, <laughs> like literally. So um, I feel like if there's something that you are super passionate about just in general, just write, just throw whatever words down. I love blue. I love this. I love that. Whatever, whatever you love or gets you up in the morning. And from there, you know, just kind of creating little pockets, at least this is what I've done is like, okay, well, what do these have in common? Where can I, um, put these passions or put these, uh, you know, skill sets that I have or that I believe in myself that I can give to the world or whatnot, at least, oh, this is just speaking from like, a, you know, kind of mapping your way or from a journalist standpoint too. Um, yep. And I feel like that was helpful for me. And, and I feel like, so for example, if you want to get into sport and if you want to be at Yahoo Sports, right. Um, it's, figuring out, I mean, you know, figuring out who's on LinkedIn that you need to get in touch with or, you know, reaching out to different friends, getting involved. Again, those business organizations or those uh, different social organizations, like we have one called the Unity Organization, which is uh, NABJ, NAHJ, AAJA. Uh, they were all together and it was like basically all the minority journalists come together once a year and like have a little powwow and then all the yeah. recruiters come out too. So that made it quite simple and, and a lot easier. And I think uh, whatever you gravitate to or maybe things that uh, are uh, endemic or just who make you who you are. So let's say you are a, um, I'm an Asian American female, you know, sports broadcaster. So clearly the Asian American Journalist Association was a place that I could go to. Yep. So if you are into, let's say, tennis and you really want to get into covering tennis, um, you may want to look up organizations around your city that might be looking for some help where you can either start writing for a local paper or start, you know. Get doing. Yeah, just get doing. Just, just you know, and know that you fall a lot before you can actually, you can't. You got to walk before you run, like everyone says, right? And you, you just got to practice. Mm -hmm. And and again, another sort of maybe cliche thing that people say of uh, you, you it takes what ten thousand times to master something. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think runs rings true. And I think as a young person, you don't want to hear that. Like yeah. I remember being young and being like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I could totally do this. I could be on camera. Here's my reel, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And then now looking back, like, what was I thinking? I was so like, you know, confident. Uh, where did this come from? And I, and I, like what you had asked me before, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, my mom wanted to be a broadcast journalist, but she actually, and she actually went to journalism school in Taiwan and she ended up marrying my dad and moving to the States and she never ended up pursuing it because she didn't speak English. Um, and I mean, now she does, but she was always saying like, you got to learn Chinese, you got to learn Chinese, mm -hmm. Chinese is the future. And now, you know, I, I'm glad she got that into me and I did take Chinese in uni and it, it is something that I, I value. It's a skill set you have. Yeah. And it's also, I value my mom's tenacity maybe. And maybe that's just, you know, she passed that along to me and that's yeah. why I am the way I am. But, um, has she shared like a regret that she never got to chase that passion? She said she never, she doesn't regret picking my dad. Ah, uh, so clever she, way to answer yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, she had, um, I think, I think she, she felt very confident in her decision. Um, because the thing is like the industry that I'm in is really hard, especially being a woman as well. Yeah. Um, if you want to have a family, I know so many friends who put off having a family and having a life really, because they're just, you know, trying to claw their way up to the top and work, work themselves like dogs to like be able to get there, quote unquote, get there. Right. Um, but I just feel like whatever it is you're chasing, journalism, whatever, whatever you feel like that end goal is, once you get there, then what, right? There's always something more. There's always something to chase. And if you're constantly in a chase mode, then you can't really soak it in and be content. I think I go back to my dad because I lost my dad when I was, you know, just a teenager. I was around 18. It was my second year of uni. Right. And that's actually what was a lot of my impetus to, to study abroad and which wow. led me to Australia is because I realized how sh short life is really. And yeah. that you can't just, you know, you got to balance work life balance and you can't just be so balls to the wall. Like, um, I'm going to climb my way to the top because it could be very, uh, lonely there. If mm -hmm. you don't have a support system, if you don't have family or friends that care about you, I feel like, you know, we've been friends for, I don't know, definitely over a decade, like 15 years, yeah. we met 15 years ago. So most of my friends that I have right now is our friends that I've had for over a decade or so, at yeah. least, you know, multiple decades, um, again, dating myself, but <laughs> I do feel like if you can build solid friendships along the way, um, those and genuine ones, they, they're so much more rewarding than anything that you will claw your way to the top four, right? Agreed. Like, like run, like jumping all over people yeah. and climbing over people because people also do remember how you treat them too. And, um, don't ever forget that. I never forget this because I was a PA and got the coffee and, you know, did the, picked up people's dry cleaning. Like I always thank them or I would get my own drink except for I'm tethered and I have a microphone stuck on me so I can't get it. And I'm very being appreciative of our production crew because yep. I did run the soundboard and I did, you know, 
mic people up before and um, I understand the inner workings of production. So in television or in any media, I still say try to do all the jobs and it is good because then you really learn to appreciate everyone as well. My take is part of your success probably comes down to how good you are with people, um, having to do some of that stuff early, as you said, and, and not just being handed and gifted, you know, the, the golden, the golden opportunity and working hard at it, um, being humbled by that work that you've had to do. Um, you know, I've, I've seen you with people and you are a great people person. And I think that's key oh, you know, in your role. You're welcome. Um, you know, you, there's a lot in there to unpack. One of the things that I think is really important, um, is I guess the, the challenges that, people have to overcome to get their dream job as well. You know, I've asked you about how do you, how do you do it? How does someone that's just starting out get that dream job? Part of it is how do you overcome hurdles and barriers and challenges and stuff that's thrown at you that you don't expect, etc. There's a, there's a few things I want to talk to in there, but let, let's, let's leverage what you said before. I know that, um, you know, you were the first Asian American host on networks like ESPN, uh, as an example, and I don't know if that's a first that you love or not. Uh, it's it's a strange first and it's a strange record to have, right? But you know, talk to me about that because there's a lot of people uh, out there that would love to be on TV that probably aren't that traditional definition of of what a lot of people think is that person on TV. Yeah, well, in sports broadcasting, that is definitely true. Uh, there is sort of a quote-unquote norm or a type that people tend to gravitate towards. I think things are slowly changing, especially for women and um, women of color, but it's you must, and still you must be, slow. <laughs> can I, you must be proud to be part of that, though. And your mom, I can't imagine your mom's pride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. My mom is funny, though. When she has come to my sets, any set, she'll start directing. (laughs) She'll be like, oh, shoot her this way. Don't shoot her there. Why are you wearing that dress? You shouldn't wear that. You know, she's very... (laughs) Stay home, mom, next time. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's she's just a Chinese mom, typical Chinese mom coming in. But she... She'll never, sometimes she'll say it now to me, to my face, you know, she'll be like, I'm really proud of you, but it's just not really a Chinese thing to do. Um, words, words of affirmation is not yeah. something that I grew up with, but I do feel like I know she's proud and she's told other people, she'll make sure other people around know, you know, all the aunties know what I'm doing, even though, uh, you know, my mom will never tell me what she's saying. Yeah. Um, but no, I do feel a sense of pride in that. It is weird uh, to even think that that I was the first person on a lot of these networks or first Asian female sports broadcaster um, on these networks like ESPN or uh, Yahoo Sports or Tennis Channel or uh, NBC Bay Area. I believe there's a, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Um, (laughs) but I, it, I just think it just goes to show that we need more colors on the spectrum. Right. And I, I am excited that now that people can create their own content and share that on different platforms like the YouTubes or the TikToks or the Instagrams or whatever it is, uh, the Snapchats that they, you see that and you see that people want the different array and different sizes and different shapes and, and faces, right? Yep. Um, 
different opinions, different opinions. And I feel like, you know, it was something that it still is. I feel like in television and in sport is, is hard. Um, not gonna lie. I definitely like to take it back to the Yahoo sports job. I, I just remember that I was not their first pick. Mm -hmm. Um, I, was not even an, an understudy. I was not even thought of. And that's the, what happens in a lot of these situations. Like, like you're not even thought of as a possibility because um, there are certain tropes and different, certain stereotypes in sports of what is quote-unquote casted or yep. hired, right? And for women, it's always like, the sideline jobs or there's a certain look that they're looking for. And it's never me. And uh, case in point, um, when I got the Yahoo sports gig that turned out to last for almost five years, I wasn't even up for the job. I wasn't on their radar, but I knew one of the producers and I kind of followed up with him uh, throughout the years and just kind of kept tabs and, said, Hey, if you know, any opportunity arises, here's my stuff. would love to be considered. And the timing so worked out that the woman who, that they hired to fill that role, basically it was, um, a, a blonde woman re replacing another blonde. Um, she had to fulfill her duties at another network, um, when she had broke her leg. And so, or she, she broke a bone somewhere. And so she had to fulfill that duty and they needed someone to fill in. So I was the fill in for two weeks, wow. but they ended up liking me and keeping me on. And then I ended up doing the Olympics and doing the, uh, another 26 episode series on the NFL and doing other things for Yahoo. And it was an amazing experience to be able to work with those teams for so long. And longevity is another thing in this industry uh, to be able to have a career and to be able to, be at different places um and keep, like, keep that career and, going and keep it going and also i always tell people the only constant is change right yeah. and so as technology changes as networks change as needs change and opportunities change like we got to adapt so i recently learned how to edit <laughs> and put together yeah. short form content and that's something i've never really done i edited way back when, when it was on tape and it was really painstaking. And ever since then I hated it and I'm like, I'm not an editor, but you know, you need to adapt and learn. And so, um, I feel like going back to being like an Asian American woman in sports and also in the business, um, I would hope that more people get into it. Um, I champion and I try to get more young girls to get into sports and sports broadcasting. I think it's something that I always say, Hey, if you, you know, need a mentor, if you just want me to look at something, um, please let me know or email me. And only maybe one has followed up. Wow. Even with documentary stuff too, it's when crazy. people have, I said, Hey, if you need some, me to look at something, or if you want me to look at a treatment or help you with your proposal or any questions about documentary filmmaking or whatever, film festivals and stuff. I've had a few friends who have gone on to create their own and we always wrap about things and talk. But as for younger women in the sports world, 
it's hard. It's really hard to, to you got to know your stuff. You got to study, you know, you can't just put on a cute dress and take a snap a pic somewhere and have a great caption. <laughs> like, yeah. like you really need to study and you really need to be on point. And on top of that, you have to, you know, not, I don't want to say look a certain way, but you have to take care of your appearance. You know, sure. you can't look, look disheveled and stuff too. Oh. So. As, as much of, um, as much as people like you have um, helped pave further opportunities and, and more diversity in any kind of content creation, whether that's in social, on TV, online, doesn't matter. It's, it's still, the, the entire industry still has to be one of the most critical, right? Because evidently, don't put the right person in front of the right audience and you don't get the right result is, is kind of the basis to any level of promotion, advertising, marketing, whatever you want to call it. So while there's probably a level of responsibility from that content creators end to make sure we put a, a host that's right for our audience on there, there also must be so much old school critical thinking in that as well that means that it's not an even playing field for everyone yet and again despite the efforts of you guys i'm sure it's so much better than it was but i'm sure there's people listening to this that probably are right now sitting there going god that's what i want to do but i'm probably not right in many people's eyes but i'm still i you know, hopefully they still have a crack right and and to you you know it it bums me out to kind of hear that you know you've you've put that out there to other people and said hey use me like get information off me, use me as a mentor, whatever it is, ask me one question on email and to not hear that you've been you know, inundated with, with kind of requests and, and hunting for knowledge is, is a bummer because people will need it. They'll yeah. need that guidance and they'll need that advice. I've had a couple of people reach out to me after watching my film, yep. um, especially younger documentary filmmakers who want to do environmental films and stuff. How do they get started? So I've tried to give them some advice on that as well. Um, and I always respond when people, you know, Instagram message me or reach out via email. I'm pretty easy to find yep. on the internet. So yeah, we'll um, include, we'll include your links on there as well. Yeah. And, and we'll definitely on Twitter and all that stuff. We'll include a link to, to the doco. Let's talk about that. Cause that's a, that's a huge shift. And I know, I know that's probably one that you're going to say is hard to define as a dream job. But that creating the documentary, and I'll get get you to talk to it in a minute, and most importantly, try and summarize the the, the life that was um, putting that documentary together because I know how hard you worked on it. Pulling something that together like that must be such a dream come true. I suppose is is a more um, true testament. Um, the blood, sweat, and tears that that obviously goes into producing something like that is is next level and probably can't be understood unless you actually do it um like that's such a different shift from working in sport on television at the olympics even talk us through wanting to be a documentary maker and more importantly for, for this audience how how the heck you pulled it off so first off i didn't know that i could do that uh at all i didn't know what i was doing i literally was just like this is a great story plastics in the ocean there's some supposed great pacific garbage patch plastic island thing floating out there i need to learn more so it was really started from a kernel of passionate curiosity and you were early onto this right yeah. this plastic paradise this is not something you dreamt up a week ago uh no. this is like what year are we talking 
Um, I first heard about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch in 2006. Yeah. It was really under the radar. It was covered in a little bit of Japanese media. A colleague of mine had asked me if I wanted to do the story with him. So I started on it and really researching, reaching out to the governmental entities, trying to figure out if this thing was real. Um, it caught- and and for, for the listeners that, that aren't aware of it, Quick, and I'm sure you've given this 10-second elevator pitch. Like, what's the summary of this? What, what did you hear about that sparked your interest? So I heard about this great island of trash, uh, this plastic island uh, the, in the, this great Pacific garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean. And I needed to find out more, and yep. I was super curious about it and that kind of really just sparked my interest as a journalist um so when i did all my research and this is why i was doing other stories as well this is not a job no one said to you hey Ange, i want you to go and no one has trash is floating into the middle of this uh you know i think when i worked at current tv or when i worked at uh, spectrum or when i worked at all different places all the jobs that i've worked at no one has really ever given me an assignment. Wow, okay. So I come up with my own ideas and I do so by reading, by being up on current events. Even with my sport live coverage in-game, when I was working with the Oakland A's, I came up with all the hits and all the ideas. Like, I'm going to go talk to this fan about this specific thing or I'm going to talk to this and talk about what just happened in that inning or I'm going to, you know, so I'm, coming up with the idea either on the fly or really planned out. And yep. so with the film, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I work in television. Like I've never gone to film school. Like I don't even know how to put together a poster or anything like what I've never put together anything longer than, you know, um, I don't know, 22 minutes. Uh, and then it ended up being a one hour documentary and going on to, over I believe 60 film festivals and winning like a bunch of awards I think we won about 13 or so basically took it worldwide tour and college tour and um the alignment you got with personalities as well around the world you know here's a funny story while making that documentary my story about trying to get Jack Johnson it took about nine months or so of back and forth with his manager and I couldn't get a yes or a no if he was available. And so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to hire a camera person. I'm going to go to... I knew he was playing at the Berkeley Greek Amphitheater. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I'm just going to go. This could be a total bust. He might not show up. He might... I mean, I mean, sorry, not he might not show up. He might not talk to me. Sure. But I went with a nonprofit organization and I heard that Jack always says hello to all the nonprofits before he starts a show. So I was like, oh, maybe he'll come by. And lo and behold, he did. And I was like, do you mind? I'm doing this, you know, documentary. It's an environmental one. It's about plastics in the ocean. Uh, do you have five to 10 minutes? He's like, yeah, totally. So I get his interview, um, luckily, and it turned out perfect. But it also, you know, after that, I had to get his release. And he actually ended up letting me use one of his songs too. Yeah. But it, that took another like six or seven months to get that. So everything took a lot of time. When I went to try to get Kelly Slater um, at the North Shore, I I just rocked up with a camera. I knew that um, Triple Crown was going on and I happened to be there with a friend. I'm like, you know, I'm going to bring my camera and see. Like maybe I can get him. But I didn't get him. But lo and behold, Dave Rostovich uh, comes out of the water and 
um, I was like, oh, Rasta, I know, I know him. Maybe he'll talk about it. And, you know, of course he's a, you know, well-known Aussie yeah, environmentalist yeah. and surfer, but he was uh, super keen to talk to me and it was rad. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let me just rinse off. I'm like, he must think I'm crazy. I'm like a stalker with a camera. Like, hey, Rasta, do you mind if I talk Talking to you about, about plastics in the ocean? Yeah. You know? And so it took a lot of that tenacity again to really just putting yourself out there and seeing you never know where you can go if you don't try. Right. Yeah. So you got to like, just do it. But then at the same time, it is scary and it is scary to take that leap. And so even then, so I went out to Midway to go shoot this. Um, basically it got caught up in red tape. And then three years later, uh, the, you know, Fish and Wildlife Services and uh, our National Oceanic Atmospheric NOAA Atmospheric Administration they they give me the go ahead they're like okay you could go you can go on this government chartered plane blah 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 this is how much cost I'm like I don't have that much money what am I gonna do so I beg one of my producers I worked with at MTV and at NBC to come with me I'm like come on it'll be fun you know and then <laughs> I I get um someone to let me borrow some equipment and um. I tell people what I want to do. And then one of my friends links me up with one of his contacts who happens to donate the cost that it would take for us two to get there. Wow. And so literally it was a week before we were leaving. I maxed out my credit card. All right. It was already on my car. So I was like, well, I'm getting charged. I don't know if this grant is going to, or this funding is going to come through or what, but, and I met this woman who ended up donating to the project a week prior to that. So it was all in crunch time. And I kind of was just like, I'm going to trust it's going to happen. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to, it's going to happen. It was like the perfect timing. It was the only timing to do this. And I did, I came back. I tell my work at that time, current TV. And I was like, Hey, I did this thing on my own. I shot out my own dime and everything. Uh, would you guys be interested in creating, you know, creating it into something bigger, like yep. a long form thing. And, they were like, oh, we'll buy the footage off of you for, you know, like pennies, basically. And I was like, uh, no, thank you. And that's when I say, like, you got to trust in the process, but also trust in yourself. And mm -hmm. I, I knew there was more than that. And I was like, that costs, it cost me more to get out there, right? Yeah. And so um, I felt like it was my civic duty as a journalist to share the story. So I came back with this footage that no one had seen before of these birds with bellies full of plastic and everything. And mind you, this isn't, this is before anyone even knew about the turtle with the straw in his nose or, yeah. you know, all of the other stuff going on. Uh, this was around 2009. So it was like 11 years ago. Yeah. And I'm so happy that it's, you know, reached this curve is this groundswell and, you know, hopefully it'll continue to just topple over. But the plastic global plastic crisis is, is one that is coming to a head now. But at that time, which was now over a decade ago, yeah, it was really hard to get funding. So I just had to do it myself. And, and I hosted and I presented on TV shows to basically on the weekends, side hustle and get that done. Yeah, because you, you had a job this whole oh, time. Oh, yeah. Right? No, I was working for Yahoo Sports at the time. I had uh, done American Ninja Warrior. So I did the first season on NBC, and uh, which is still airing. <laughs> it gets rerun all the time. And then uh, I was working at Tennis Channel. Yeah. So it's so. not like you weren't busy. You weren't sitting on your hands thinking, what can I do tomorrow? Like, um, yeah, metaphorically, you weren't uh, wasting away, twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing. You're, you're a busy girl anyway. I've, I've heard from people that make documentaries that they can obviously take, a, take on a life of their own to mm -hmm. some degree. 
when, when you first started this project, when you first heard of this, this issue, this matter, and, and you've talked about your love for the ocean and you know, the, you was credit to you, you were so early on to this, like as someone that grew up on the beach, you know, I can think back and no, no one was talking about, uh, you know, the devastation that was happening in our oceans to the degree that they are today in, in any way, shape or form. So again, it's, you know, like the Asian American opportunity that you've you've helped influence in and female journalists um, and TV presenters, you know, you were at the forefront of this, and I just wonder, like, for you, what what was the switch? Was it that hey, this is a news story and documentary, maybe one way or one channel or one platform be able to tell this? Is that how that came apart? Was it just hey, I wanted to make a documentary and this seems like a story that would trend well in that format? How did how did that little inkling come up for you to make the decision to go like i'm going to do this i'm going to create content around it i think documentary might be the right style and platform for it it never started off like oh i'm going to make a documentary it wasn't like when i knew what i wanted to do when i grew up and right. like yes i want to be uh, you know a television personality or a journalist and uh it was something that just kind of you know something that just kept scratching at me so yeah so i so i understand like you you've so you're into this you've You've got the idea, um, you've got the motivation to chase up this story. Uh, you identified that a documentary is you know, a potential platform or, or way to tell this story. How do you, where's the drive? Like, how, how do you get the motivation to do? So I've been asked this question a lot, and I think it always goes back to this sort of passionate curiosity. And that's something that leads or led me to my purpose and through perseverance engages people into meaningful partnerships. So it's called the five P's and it's something that I've talked about in the past when I've spoke, but really it starts off with that kernel, that spark of curiosity and having a passionate curiosity about something really drives you to figuring out what your purpose really is, right? Um, that's why I keep saying like going and just writing things down, putting it on paper, just throwing words out there even, you know, that you like or that you're drawn to or vision boarding. Those things are super helpful just to figure out what you are even curious about because that's the stuff that will sustain you in those really dark times. <laughs> there was many times when I've been in edit or post-production or even production of this documentary where I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I up transcribing this by myself this you know I, I did over 70 interviews and we didn't use all of them obviously but I personally transcribed almost all of them you know wow. as we were coming through the post process um, and scripting process and that's just literally sitting there listening to it and, yeah. and re rewriting it um, and that's the hard work that people doesn't that people there's don't see. so much hard work people see the glitz and the glamour the rewards the distribution, the, you know, because we ended up on um, all different television channels around the globe, including SBS here. And um, uh, we were at a participant media's TV channel in the US, CBC, uh, Sweden, Italy, Taiwan, all different places. And then d digitally on Netflix. And then also now it's at Nat, Nat Geo in Europe. And so I've been fortunate and that kind of gave me that validation I needed that I was doing something right. Because when you're creating something for the very first time, you have no idea. I, I literally was like, I don't know if anybody is going to want to watch this. Sure. Like, what if, what if it's crap? You know, <laughs> what if I put all this hard work into it and 
no one wants to watch it because no one cares about plastic. It was so hard. I couldn't get funding for it because it's not sexy. It's not a panda. It's not tigers that we're saving or rhinos, you know, it's literally this mundane thing that's, you know, in our lives every day. Is that really going to push the needle? And I felt like it was civic duty as a journalist. Um, I also felt like, so that was my purpose. You know, I was curious about something and then I found the purpose and like, I feel like people need to know. They need to uh, at least have all the information so they can make informed decisions on what they want to do about the disposability, you know, problem and how historically we've become this disposable society uh, that thinks we have like unlimited resources and such. And so um, the perseverance part is when I was crying in the corner half the time or like um, so much drama, like let's say losing audio or something happens in the per- in the process um, and, you know, a shoot goes wrong or something. You know, I talk about the Jack Johnson shoot or Dave Rostovich thing where it was it was great, but then there's other shoots where it didn't turn out great or it didn't come through. So, you know, people, I think when we talk about our successes, it's good to talk about where you failed. And so that's where you need to persevere. And that's that grit that you need. And it's interesting because I talked about this woman, Angela Duxworth, who wrote the book grit. And it was just this study of like all different types of people from all different walks of life. And what is it that made them most successful? It was it because of opportunity was it because of I don't know um looks whatever uh but it was really the thing that made successful people stand out was gr- they were gritty yeah um and they stuck through it when it was really hard and then that also leads you to, to um uh partnerships with people yeah. and so I think uh that passionate curiosity leads leads you to your purpose and through perseverance engages people into meaningful partnerships because people gravitate towards that. They want authenticity. They want real, right? When you're like, Oh my gosh, it's the best. I have an Instagram life and you know, my life is beautiful and I travel all the time and stuff. No, because no one talks about their sad spots and no one shares that, but we all share the great times. Right. And so I think it's important that we share that obviously maybe not overshare, (laughs) but I think there's a fine balance. Just getting to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Finding a fine balance and, and, and it just makes you real and it makes all of it real. And so that's why I feel like the idea, the notion of a dream job, like we had discussed this before the podcast uh, or when we started rolling was, um, you know, I think about it and my first response in my text to you was like, well, every job has its ups and downs. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you did. Not, Very practical. And it's not perfect. It's never perfect. And even if it's something that I have full creative control, I created it, I decided what I wanted to do with it. And this film was my baby that I birthed and it took years to do it. And it saw the world and the world received it you know, yeah. with open arms. Um, that was a dream job in a certain way, but it wasn't a dream job because it was never monetarily, you know, something that was going to make you so much money. Like I barely broke even, you know, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears. It was a lot of sweat equity. It was, uh, you know, there was a lot of nights in weird fast food restaurants with your rolly bag, carry on thing with your posters, and like little merch things like the DVD and stuff that you have at the table 
after a film festival and you're by yourself and you haven't eaten and you know like, reality kicks in <laughs> it's reality kicks in it's like it's really lonely and you're on the road the whole time and trying to share this but you you're never home and you know in one way it's fun and another way it's like you feel like you have no home base and you feel like you're you've given your life like I left sport for a while I was covering sports for so long and then I kind of left it and this totally took a life on its own. And then I went back into sports and then I went back to, um, I covered baseball with NBC sports, um, up in the Bay, up in Oakland. And so, and then, you know, now I've transitioned into news. So I do think I have bebopped around a lot, but I do think that having a good tool belt with versatility is something that, um, I don't think it should be overlooked. I think to be a well-rounded journalist, you should be able to have all these pockets where you can break into news. You can have live coverage. You can write and script something. You can source and produce and come up with the ideas. You can, you know, present it properly and be authentic and normal on camera, you know, and that people can relate to you. So I think there's so many different facets of the job. It's not just one or the other, but having a, a... full tool set just really helps in all of it yeah and and you know you're spot on and it's it's fundamentally the key reason why i wanted to do this podcast and and have guests such as yourself because um you know the the workforce is very opportunistic these days you know there's a million different amazing job titles you can pretty much make up a job title um in a lot of industries but the path to getting said job title um, and, you know, reaching that sense of accomplishment on occasions is, is difficult. And it doesn't matter what job you're doing, doesn't matter who you work for, doesn't matter if you have your own business or you work for the man, as you said it on my text um, back to me very clearly, there's some ups and downs, right? It's, it's, and I think that's the exciting thing, but it's also the part that, you know, anyone listening to this, anyone starting their career, anyone deep in their career that wants to make a move and, you know, go after their, their next career um, challenge, um, it's, the one, it's the one thing we've all got in common. Uh, not every minute of the day in a dream job makes it feel like a dream job. Uh, and I knew, I knew you'd struggle calling, you know, your documentary and, and that experience uh, <laughs> a dream job. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that one day you look back at it and, and realize I'm sure it was, you know, not everybody gets the opportunity to create a doco that they think might be a good idea one, you know, one day. So um, hard to probably recognize right now and, and you lived it, the hard parts more, well, you lived the hard parts and no one else did, right? So, um, but I think, as I said, I think that's the key part to all of us is um, no matter whether you're in a, a dream job for someone else or if you've got your own business or you're uh, you know, creating your own content around a passion that, that interests you, um, there are some amazing days and there's some days where it sucks, right? And you got to move on to the next day. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that as true. I think, you know, people have been asking me about, why don't you do another one? And, you know, when is that coming out? And it was such a learning experience going through that literally from inception to sending it off to college where it was like, okay, it's distributed now. It's out in the world. Everybody see it. Um, from the poster art to the font to the music to anything, right? Any any of the pictures in it. So um, I 
am scared about doing the next one because I feel like, what if it's a sophomore slump? What if nobody wants to watch it? What if it's not interesting? I have all of this self-doubt surrounding, uh, you know, this notion, can I do it again or whatever? And I feel like that's just normal. We all have self-doubt. Um, I ha- I actually, that happens to me sometimes right before I go live on camera. I'll yeah, be like, I can only imagine. you know, when you have to break into something and you're like, do I have enough information? Can I talk this long about this? Um, you know, what do I know about this person? What do I know about what just happened? How do I say this in a factually correct way without becoming a complete mess? Because it's some hard news that you have to say or something or, or whatever it is, right? Uh, there's so many instances where you just need to push through it. I think that's the key. And I think with time and with practice, you are more prepared. And so in those instances, when I have that self-doubt, I feel like now I can look back at the body of work I've done throughout my career and feel that validation or confidence that I could just, I could, you know, I'll push through the nerves or push through the self-doubt and be able to move forward in a way that is only up. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you, you talked about self-doubt and, and that, yeah, that the fear of failure is real. It doesn't matter what industry you're in or profession you're in or, or what you want to try and accomplish. The fear of failure is unfortunately a human nature uh, for a lot of people. Some people can overlook it very easily. Others... Oh, they uh, get crushed. Yeah. And I think that's where the thick skin comes in because... Yeah. You really have to, I mean, when you look at CEOs and entrepreneurs and how many times they've had failed businesses before one succeeds, I always feel like every job that I've had just prepares me for the next whatever it is, right? Right. Like if I didn't have, you know, the time that I worked with, um, you know, I did live stadium hosting for the Dodgers and that set me up to work with, you know, live in-game reporting with the A's or baseball is such a nuanced sport. I mean, I know it's cricket out here, but uh, (laughs) uh, American baseball is a very nuanced sport as well. And um, it's definitely an old boys club. It's very hard to be the new newbie in there. And I definitely felt like um, Forrest Gump a couple of times when you're, you know, when he's going on the bus and like the seats taken, the seats taken, and I'd be in the press room and it seemed like every seat was taken. And so I just made it work for me. And I made friends with other people who opened, you know, their table to me or whatnot, yeah. but it wasn't easy. But on the outside, it looked like it was all easy peasy, glossy, like, Oh, you have the best seat in the house. You're right behind the dugout, you know, right behind home plate type of thing. Um, but it was a lot of hard work and it was a lot of long hours and a lot of studying. And I think people overlook that, you know, and when they come to one game for a season, they don't realize it's 162 games, not including spring training that we're there, you know, and covering it. So I think that, especially of that sport, that's, that's one of the longest seasons um, or most games. Cause if you look at NBA, it's 86. Yeah. If you look at Must be you know, NFL, it's 16 weeks. Um, one of the most grueling j- job industries to be in is, is baseball. I can only imagine for everybody from yeah. the actual players right down to you know, the caterers at the game and everyone in between. Spit some reality to me right now. Um, people always say you can fail forward. Uh, you can learn on the job. Is that true in the industry you work in? 
You know, I always tell people, at least in my profession, you're the usually the last hired, first fired. Um, because, um, it kind of falls on you if you're the one in front of the camera, it doesn't matter if the producer gave you the wrong information. It doesn't matter if you look green or whatever, you know, if it doesn't, it still falls on you first. And there's so many people chomping at the bit to try to get that job that that's how I say it's, it's kind of a doggy dog world. And I've basically extracted myself from any of those situations where it could bring me down um, for self-preservation, I feel like. Um, whenever I've been in situations where I feel like it's about to get, you know, this weird competitiveness and stuff, I try to extract myself from that and at least like create a protective bubble. And that's why I feel like it's important to have good friends. It's important to have friends outside of you know, what you're doing, um, longtime friends who can keep you straight, you know, and keep you grounded as well and kind of slap you around if you, you know, <laughs> get to up in your britches about something. Awesome, Andrew. I really appreciate the insight. I want to jump to our student question. Um, mm. We do this in every episode. This question is from Peter and Peter wants to know, or should I say wants to ask, I want to work in the media industry but I currently don't have a social profile. Is it still possible today for me to excel in the media industry? Well, Peter, I would first of all say uh, sign up for Instagram or Twitter or um, LinkedIn. (laughs) Uh, I definitely think it's important. You say you want to be in the media and in the media industry, but that is media. That is, I mean, social media online media, television media, film media, all of it, it's, it goes hand in hand nowadays. And, um, employers do look at your social profiles as well. And they do check that. And I think, you know, people are seeing through the fake followers and when people are trying to puff up their CV a bit or whatnot. Right. And so I think, having something is better than nothing. And most journalists still use Twitter. That's like their, that's the quickest way to disseminate information. So having a following, um, I don't think you should worry about numbers or, um, what it may seem or look like, but having, having an opinion on things or having your own perspective, cause that's what makes you different. That's what makes you stand out, um, above the fray and above the rest is that, you don't have to like incite anything or, you know, go strongly in one direction or the other, but even if it's resharing things or using it as, I'm just saying specifically for Twitter, using that for information gathering for yourself. Um, I actually find a lot of story ideas through Facebook as well. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, through friends, mostly, uh, friends sharing articles and, uh, different things and reposting things. Um, but I do think it's important to have some sort of online profile because how else are people going to find you? More and more nowadays, I feel like employers are going to that to find the right person. It's better actually to be niche than to be too diversified. And I don't know. I I beg to differ because I am pretty versatile in a lot of things, but um, I do know that that's what they're looking for. 
So don't need to be social famous, but need to be engaged, involved, just, in the loop. Yeah, in the loop and show that you are, you know, just in some way, shape or form. You don't have to be glued to your phone all the time, but I, th I think not just the media industry, but any profession, I, I would assume that many employers would want to know social profiles or I can talk from, from a uh, marketing direct standpoint. experience uh, when you're hiring or when you're involved in any kind of hiring process. Um, there's, there's the Insta stalk, there's the Facebook yeah. stalk, there's the LinkedIn stalk, there's the web search stalk. Like, of course. And that's just a professional level. What if you're dating that person? Then it's like, I mean, I know girls who are better than the CIA. They just get in there and they're just like, Doo -doo 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 -doo. I can find you anything yeah. about this one person. <laughs> just give me five minutes. <laughs> that's, a t that's a story for another time, yeah. I reckon, Ange. Hey, thank you so much for your uh, time on the Dream Job Ready podcast. Really appreciate it. I'll include a stack of your links. Um, you've got a few, so I'll put the most important ones uh, in our description so people can find you, contact you if, uh, if they're keen, and I'm sure you'll be more than open to that. Uh, wish you nothing but success for the next dozen years uh, in all your different chosen professions. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. You're welcome. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.